welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 287. Susan May Warren teaches how to write a series, coming to you on Thursday, April 21st, 2022. I don't know about you, but 2022 has turned out to be my year of doing all sorts of new things. One of the things you probably know if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while is that this year is going to be the year of doing encouraging words episodes for you every month and teaching workshops for you. So instead of having 50 interviews with writers and other people in the publishing industry every year, I'm going to have eight to 10 specifically teaching you a topic that you can take the information and work on it right now, kind of a workshop sort of episode. That's a very long description of an episode, isn't it? So these episodes are all going to be teaching you how to do something very specific. So today we are going to learn a whole bunch of different ways that you can write a book series. And I'm not going to try to like give you the highlights right here because Susan May Warren has an amazing lecture that she's given many times at writers conferences. And she's basically uh, taught all of us all of this information over the next hour. So get out a pen and paper. This will be something that if you are walking or driving right now, you will have to come back and listen to it again and take notes. Susan May also gave us the lovely addition of having her slides that she uses when she teaches live at a writer's conference available to us. So those will be on the show notes page and you can just go to podcast.rightnowworkshop.com look under episodes, find episode 287, and then the show notes will also have a link to download her slides. So yay, thank you so much, Susie May. Okay, so what else are we doing this year? Um, I, I do intend to have these episodes out in a orderly fashion, but I've had a lot of tech issues the last probably two months, uh, tech and time management. The most recent have been tech issues, but uh, I apologize if anybody's been like, when are these episodes going to come out? They are going to come out, just sometimes they're a little bit late, so sorry about that. Um, I am so excited to have a year full of teaching and I'm so excited because I will finally be able to get to do some more teaching myself. I love teaching writing topics and um, I have been told that I'm good at it. So I look forward to pre presenting to you some topics on writing myself this year. Um, you probably already know that I do one-to-one um, -one book coaching. Again, if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, and I'm also going to start something new life coaching for writers. So the book coaching, I specifically am helping people figure out how to get the words on the page. And then they send me the words. I give them feedback. We keep on going. We try to get the whole book done in six months or pretty darn close. Kind of depends on um, how much the writer already knew about the story, how far they'd already started, if they were starting brand new or lots of other reasons. Um, so that's what the book coaching is. But the life coaching for writers is a new program that I'm offering now, very brand new. <laughs> and it is more about managing your energy your um, emotional state, the physical, where are you going to write? How are you going to get the words down on paper? Um, what programs are you going to use? How are you going to save your work so that you can access it from various computers or if you travel a lot? Uh, how to manage getting your writing in around other health issues, child and family issues, um, 
retirement issues. <laughs> uh, I, I did very much enjoy helping one woman figure out how her, she and her husband can both be happier with a little tweak to the way that they've been working their retirement so far. So she's gotten a lot more writing done. He's gotten a little bit more golfing done without any nagging. So they both ended up happier. So this is um, figuring out how you can have the joyful, peaceful life that you've been wanting as your writing life. And your writing life meaning your whole life that includes your writing. So if this is something that's interesting to you and you want to find out more about it, send me an email, kitty at kittybuholtz.com or a message on Facebook Messenger or a direct message on Twitter. Any one of those ways should reach me. If you don't hear from me and you feel like it's been more than a week, uh, try one of the other ways. Sometimes things get lost in the ether. You know how it can be. Um, I am so excited about this because it's the sort of thing that I've been learning in my own life. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for a very long time, you know that I had some serious and awful struggles with burnout for a couple of years in 2018-19. And it took me a long time to figure out how to heal from that emotionally and physically, and also how to have more joy in my life again and creativity and have that sense of balance so that I didn't go into overwhelm and burnout again. I have so much information that I want to share and I would love to do it either one-on-one -on -one or around September, I'll be opening up a group coaching, which will be significantly cheaper if that's an issue for you. Um, also, if you prefer to have um, group sessions where you're learning from what other people are asking and the responses and, and answers that other people are giving them and that are coming from the leader of the group, that would be me. Um, if you like the group situation better anyway, then this could be better for you. Um, if money is an issue, this could be better for you. If you prefer to be able to um, say everything, <laughs> you know, like not have to edit yourself, not have to worry about what other people are thinking, um, and be able to uh, have all of my time and attention, one-to-one -one coaching would be best for you. So let me know if you're interested in becoming one of my clients for life coaching for writers. I would very much love to talk to you about it. You just message me, I'll send you a link to my calendar, and then you can schedule a call with me and we'll talk. All right, so that's one of the other things I'm very excited about. Um, and then one more thing, so three new things here, is that I am doing my self-publish your book one-to-one -one coaching as a course. So this is one of those do-it-yourself, do-it-at-your-own-time courses. I still have to figure out a few things having to do with um, open office hours or live Q&A sessions or something this, so that you can have some access to me. So at this point, I am offering a founder's rate discount if you would like to help me uh, build the course as I go. I already have all the information because I've been doing the self-publish your book one-to-one -one coaching. Uh, it's just a matter of of what's the best way to arrange it for you when you're going through the course by yourself and also how much time and attention do you need in a more kind of live way like not just the videos but having some sort of access to me is it better to have a Facebook group that you can ask a question anytime and get an answer is it better to have live sessions that are specifically on a certain day and time that you need to be there to ask the question so if you're interested in being part of this 
and you would like to be in on the um, founders rate discounted, let's make this course what you need it to be. Again, reach out to me, kitty at kittybuholtz.com or Facebook Messenger or Twitter direct message. And I uh, have a special rate, $250 for a, it's normally a 15 week one-on-one um, coaching session with me that is $2,000, um, but this is $250 as we work together to create um, the videos, the worksheets, etc., that best help you, and then I'll open it up to the outside world at a higher rate. Um, so if you would like to be uh, part of helping me sort of beta test uh, all the videos and materials and stuff, let me know. I would love to have you join us. All right, is there anything else that I'm doing new? One more thing. I have a new website that's in development. I'm so excited. It is so me. And I didn't even realize how me it was until uh, my website designer has actually been a friend of mine for quite a long time, maybe uh, six or seven years. And uh, when she gave me this idea, she's like, how about something like this? I was like, um, that sounds nice to me as a human being, but I'm not really sure that's a good website for me as a teacher and podcaster and coach and that sort of thing. She's like, no, it really is because of this. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's growing on me and now I love it. So I will be letting you know when you should go look at the new rightnowworkshop.com website. The old one, um, you know, is old enough now and I'm not good at some of the things that I tried to add to it in such a way that I'm actually really embarrassed and would like you to not go to my website. <laughs> uh, I'm sure if you've ever had a website, you totally know, you know, at some point you start thinking, I need a new website. And then by the time the new website's almost ready, you're like, please don't go to my old website because <laughs> the new one's so much better. So I'll let you know when it's available. I'm super excited. Um, I am also uh, hoping if all goes well, it kind of depends, you know, when I have a lot of clients, I don't get to spend as much time on my own writing. But right now I am looking to bring to you finally my first nonfiction book, Encouragement for Writers, which is possibly only the working title. I'm still kind of figuring out if it needs a new title, but it is Encouragement for Writers and um, a helpful guide for how to get through some of the things that can stop you when you are trying to write. Whether you're writing your first book or your 20th book, there are moments when we're just stuck on the same thing that we get stuck at because we have, you know, our own little issues about I'm embarrassed about this or I'm insecure about that. Or I just feel like if people really knew they would, you know, not want to write or read my books, you know, all of these issues that we go through. Uh, I am trying to give you a book of encouragement that'll help you through all of it. I hope that that will be ready in October. But in the meantime, I will be looking for beta readers. So if you are interested in being a beta reader and again, helping me to refine the book so that it works the best for all the writers who will be reading it, then please contact me. As you now know, kitty at kittybuholtz.com, Facebook Messenger, or Twitter direct message, possibly in that order. Facebook Messenger always um, beeps me on my phone, so that's good. Unless you and I have never been in contact before, and then sometimes it like holds messages from people who I haven't ever been in contact with, and I have to go find them. Um, but anyway, just letting you know, <laughs> I will, I will be looking for messages just in case they're stuck in the, are you sure you want messages from this person area? Okay. So beta readers, 
I would love to have you see whether or not uh, this book is coming together in a way that you think will be helpful to you and your other writing friends and the grading, greater writing community at large. So lots of interesting brand new things happening in 2022. How is your 2022 going? If you heard the Encouraging Words episode from this past Sunday, then you know that I was encouraging you to stop and think, how much have I gotten done in the first quarter of the year? What had I intended to get done throughout the entire 12 months of the year? And then one more time, stop and think, what can I focus on just for the next three months? Which in this case is a lot closer to two months now. Um, so that you can try to be focused and not feel overwhelmed by how much you're trying to do. And also if you're getting done two or three things and then totally finishing them, and then the next two or three things can actually work out a lot better for you. And I tell you from experience, than working on a whole bunch of things a little bit at a time, and then they're all kind of coming to nearly done around the same time. And then you're still overwhelmed with trying to figure out how to finish and put out each one of these, these things, whether they are courses or class um, uh, books or, you know, whatever it is that you're working on. Um, so <laughs> I strongly encourage you, if you didn't listen to the Encouraging Words episode a few days ago, go back and listen to, let's see, it would be 286, episode 286, and uh, see if it gives you some ideas for how to uh, plan just for a couple of months at a time so that you can really focus, get a lot more done by the end of the year. All right. So lots of things to uh, tell you about, lots of things to hopefully be putting in your mind in a kind of a teaching learning frame. And now we are going to have the most magnificent hour with Susie May. She explains how to write a series so well, and not just how to write a series, but all the different choices that you have, some of which like I knew, but I'd never thought of, and others where I was like, I hadn't even thought of doing that. I'm so excited to actually take some of her advice myself with my three series. So um, let me know what I can do to help you, what you need from me. Uh, if you are watching this on YouTube and you hit subscribe, you will make me very happy. I just get very kind of giggly every time I get a message on my phone saying someone else has subscribed to your YouTube channel. Uh, also, if you would like to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, that would also just make me giggly happy. It's helpful to me so that I can reach more people. It's helpful for other people so that they know whether or not this is the kind of show that would uh, um, be encouraging, entertaining, and helpful, which are the three things that I'm trying to do for you. So thank you for everything you've done to support me and the show. I look forward to hearing from you, and I'm so excited about the next hour. So I'm going to start stop talking and let Susie Mae give us the start of How to Write a Series. Today's guest is Susan Mae Warren. USA Today bestselling Susan May Warren is the multi-award winning novelist of over 85 novels in five different genres. With over a million books in print, her books have been translated into French, Dutch, Polish, German, Swedish, Ukrainian, and Italian, and are on bookshelves around the world as far away as South Africa, Australia, and Russia. She's been featured in Christian Women Today magazine and appeared on The Harvest Show and other national television shows. Susan is also the founder of Novel.Academy, a school for novelists focused on building careers. She loves to coach authors to publication and beyond and seeing their careers flourish. Welcome, Susie May. 
Hi, thanks for having me, Kitty. Wow, you make me sound so great. <laughs> My bio would be like, and she sits around in barefoot in her backyard, you know, thinking up novels and hopefully getting words on the page. And trying to, yeah. <laughs> Well, and for anybody who's not watching the video version, oh my goodness, the backyard that you're sitting in right now, um, anybody would want, especially it's February as we talk. Yes. It's, it's, no, it's March, but it feels like February here in Sweden. <laughs> yes, yes, I can imagine it does. It is beautiful. We were very fortunate to find a, a cute little house on the in Florida a couple of years ago. And so we escaped here in the wintertime. And it is really great for writing because you do get out and take walks. You can kind of free your mind a little bit and stuff like that. Although I did used to love writing up in northern Minnesota with my fireplace and, <laughs> and under a cozy blanket. So you can find inspiration that way as well. That is true. That is true. Sometimes I take my big fluffy comforter off the bed, take it to the couch, make sure that there's no heat on in the living room. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to read or write either one. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, so speaking of writing, this year I'm doing something different. I want to do instead of 50 interviews with wonderful people, but otherwise, you know, not always something that's going to be of interest and um and absolutely helpful to all the listeners. Instead, I'm doing eight to ten episodes that are just teaching episodes. So it's like you can go to a conference, you chose this one class, that's the one, and then you're taking notes and then you can apply the information and you know do new great things with your career. So thank you for being one of my guests doing that. Oh, I'm so thrilled. Thanks for inviting me. This is so fun. You know, I love to teach. So this is great. Yes, which is one of the reasons why I asked you, even though you have absolutely been on the show more than anybody else. This should be the Kitty and Susie May show. <laughs> well, I like it. Let's do it. It sounds great. <laughs> Done. All right. There we go. <laughs> so this is what we're going to do. You have written a lot of series mm -hmm. and you've taught about it a lot. So I thought this will be a great thing, especially we're kind of near the beginning of the year. People might still be planning. I mean, some people who are late planners, I sometimes am still planning in, in March or April. Um, so let's just kind of start with wherever is your starting place in how i plot the series which is you know at least three stories by themselves but usually with an overarching story and let's use your latest series as our um our influence and example because i read book one sunrise which just came out in january oh my gosh i loved it i mean we're talking about sunny florida but this was in the wilds of alaska and i was so enthralled with everything so i'm going to stop you. talking and let you kind of start us out sure well i think that's I, I love talking about series. Why? Because I mostly write in series. I do have a few standalones, but as I got to know myself, I realized I'm the person that likes to surround myself with people. And even if they're fake people, they're my people and I, I can like spend time with them. And so I have really developed my career on big series. So yes, I have a lot of different kinds of series. So let's dive into a little bit of why write a series, what, what, what kind of series there are, and then I'll talk through the plotting of the series a little bit so you know why write a series a lot of people you know they start a novel and they write the one novel and you know they think oh this is the this is our my big novel they send it out there but what happens is that there are subplot characters or layer characters that are in the novel that your readers want to know more about and so what happens is that they're like please give us a novel about this particular person so then they write another novel and it could be a standalone as well which is tie-ins but if you can somehow pull in other characters from your world and put them in that novel, 
and then continue on doing that for future novels. What happens is that readers love to see old characters appear in subsequent books or find out more about a particular character that hasn't been written about. And suddenly you've created a big world of, uh, you know, that your characters can live in and you've created a rising tide of awareness because with every book, more people are talking about your story. They're talking about your characters and, you know, things about your character. And what happens is that other people are starting to hear that and they say, oh, we would like to know more about that. And instead of reading the one book, and there are people that just want to read one book, but a lot of times you can say, well, I've read this book, but if you want, start at the beginning. Now, one of the keys here is to create a story that people can read by themselves if they want to. So there's a difference between like a connected series and, um, and a, a plotted series where every book builds on each other or even a trilogy where it's an arc. You know, so there's different kinds of series out there. But every once in a while, I have what's I have what's called like a, a push book. And, it, uh, and it's a way for people that aren't involved in the series to connect to the series. So I'll write a book that is a standalone kind of book where people could access that story without knowing anything about the other characters. But now it ignites an interest in some of the characters I put in the book. And then I say, would you like to know more about this? And I put a little link in the back of the book, if it's an ebook or my publisher will put a little excerpt of maybe the first book in the series, and then they can go back to the beginning and start it. So it's, I've created entry points into the series that act like standalones, but still get people ignited into the series. But now I, now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself on, on theory of series. And so <laughs> let me back up and talk a little bit about the different kinds of series. So, um, so there's a lot of uh, different kinds of series that you can have. So the first kind of series is that very common is a family series where people in a family are connected. And that's what this book is. This is a trilogy, but it's about three brothers and each book focuses on one of the brothers, but the brothers all have a connection in the story. So I'm talking about Sunrise right now and it's called the um, Sky King Ranch series, I believe is what it's called. Um, you can also have an occupation series and we see those a lot, like for example, with, um, you know, a lot of TV shows have that Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago Police, you could have, you know, all sorts of kind of occupation series. And I created that with my Montana rescue team where I had like a rescue team and it was like a phone family and they all worked together. Um, and so that's another series. And from that, you might have a group of people, but then you might add people in later on. And so you can expand the series. You might even have a spinoff like Chicago Fire did where they had like a spinoff with Chicago Med and Chicago police, I think it is. So anyway, so you have those kind of spinoffs. You might have a location series. So um, Debbie Maycomber is really great at this. She's got a location and in that location. And I also did this with Deep Haven where I had like a little town and then we talked about the people in the town. And that's a lot of, uh, those books are more standalones with a set location, but they can be connected. And if people fall in love with your town, then they really can love the characters in the town. You might have an event series where, for example, the Hunger Games is an event series. You have this event that happens with the Hunger Games where they, they you know, they, they choose one person from every district every year to go have this um, sort of survivor-ish type mm -hmm. event in the capital city. And one year they pick, um, what's her name? I can't think of her name at the top of my uh, head. Katniss is uh, Katniss, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then that ignites a whole series of events that happens as a result of 
of that event, right? So you could have an event series. Those are often trilogies. They're not super long because the event can't sustain itself once you deal right. with that. But um, but that's a great way to grab people in, especially if you have a great event, a great premise. Um, you might have a character-driven series. So right now, Lee, uh, Lee, Lee Child just has a Reacher that just came out on Amazon. I'm a Reacher fan. I love reading Reacher books. They're very... Uh, they're a different kind of writing, but it's very fun to see Reacher and what he has to deal with. And I kind of like the mystery books element of it. So so Reacher is a character and we just follow the Reacher character and we get to know him more and more as he goes down the, the line. And we have a lot of those kind of series. Uh, Patricia Cornwell has one that I follow. And now her name is also um, Cake Kay Scarpetta. Yeah, I yeah. follow her. So anyway, those are character driven series and those are fun. And then you might have a theme and a theme series like be the midwives, you know, and you might have something like every character is a midwife or you might have um, a firefighters and it might just be all the different kinds of firefighters. It might be like a military series where maybe they are, you know, people that are dealing with, you know, like maybe it's a different kind of a military hero in each one, but it's a theme of, of character. So I had a World War II series um, and it was, um, I can't think of the series name now, but it was basically this, the first book was Sons of Thunder and the second book was called Nightingale. And basically they had were loosely connected with characters, but really the theme was World War II. So these are the different kinds of series that you can have. And I've actually written I think almost every single kind of series. Um, and for me, the best ones were the family series. Um, for me, and you know, they can also be, I also found great luck with the occupation series. But for some reason, people just love characters in a family, like to seem to come together. So my big series was the Christensen family series. Um, and that became a really big uh seller as well as the then i spinned off later into a montana marshall series it was the marshall family and that was in Mon in montana obviously montana marshall <laughs> they live in new jersey <laughs> <laughs> that's great so so um but for, but what happened is in between those two i had someone in the christensen family series who was a firefighter so i went kind of off the ranch for a little while. And I did like a smoke jumper series and it was, you know, based in Montana and then Alaska. And in between there, I had the Montana rescue series, which was, um, you know, this found family with this Montana rescue team. And then from those two series, I bridged back into the Montana Marshall series where I pulled someone from the Montana fire series and put them in this particular book. And then I had other characters in the Montana rescue series that I put in. And what's fun is readers now will, will read a book expecting to see characters from other series pop in. And it's been a really fun thing to do. So um, family series though, is so, either whether it's phone family or occupational or a, an actual family, um, they're, a really fun series to write because usually what happens is that um, you you know you meet different members of the family every once in a while we give them a reason to be together or come together so you can kind of see them interact. Um, I, I usually give everyone a unique persona. So like in the Christensen family, I had, you know, the firefighter, the chef, the journalist, the adventurer. Um, and the photographer. And so I had, or I shouldn't say adventure, treasure hunter and then photographers, everybody had a sort of persona. Um, and then I always gave each of them a, an overarching issue. And so that's one thing that's really great with the series is that you can connect them, even if you don't have a plot issue, you can connect them with an overarching issue. And for the Christiansons, it was 
what do we do with the family resort? So the parents were leaving and we needed to figure out what to do because none of the kids wanted the resort, right? So so that's a really fun series to do because you can it's pretty tight and interactive with everyone else. When you're doing an occupation, you know, they're loosely connected through a workplace. They should know and work together. They might hang out outside of work someplace. And I think that's really important to give them a place to hang out. So we have, I have a grill and bar that's also music stay in stage for one of the characters. And that's where they hang out outside of work. And so it gives them an opportunity to interact without the, the work stuff happening. I also have projects happening. So like I had a house that was needed to be renovated. One of the characters was doing that and everybody was helping. So I gave them things to do outside of their occupation. Um, and so that's a really great way to help them understand their non-work lives. And I think that's a really important element because we don't want to just get to know them in work. We want to get to know them outside of work, which is where we get to know their characters and their problems and that sort of thing. So that's a real key when you're doing an occupation. And the same with the location series. You want a, the location series is really important to have a common meeting place in the location. So set pieces where people can can um, interact. So I have like a I have a donut shop and I have a coffee shop and I have a resort and I have a pizza place and some of these different places where people can interact. And then in a location series, you also want what's called set characters. So people that show up that are always they're kind of like set pieces. You know, I have Edith Draper, who's a realtor. I have um, Kathy, who's my coffee shop lady. And so what happens is they become familiar characters that people can interact around. And um, so that's a really important thing when you're doing a location series. Um, and with a character series, you know, you really want to create a compelling character who, who grows in every book. You got to give them a new problem, right? So a great example would be Harry Potter. And, every, you know, Harry has a problem in every book. It does lead to the conquest or the, 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 the final battle against Voldemort, but you know you have sort of this lead up to it, and in every book he's got a problem. So there's a lot of um, so a character-driven series. We do want a character that grows a little bit, but also has to solve a problem different in every book, but maybe leading to a big problem. And of course, you got to plant seeds for that. So, which brings me to how to plot a series. So I'm going to pause here because I've been talking a lot. Do you have any questions, Kitty? This is okay. a great. This is a great place to pause. Okay, good. Um, so question number 142. I shouldn't have said that right when you were drinking. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, wow. First of all, like I already know a lot of this stuff, but I'm listening to you going, you know, I'm going to go back and take some notes after we're done talking because there's things that um, like, you know, things, but until you start figuring out what my series is going to be, what my plot is going to be, or, oh, I've got one of those and one of those, then it's like, oh, but I haven't done that little thing, you know, so this is great for, um, for like, I think taking notes later and then putting them someplace that's in my series binder or something. But yes. I, I have a question about this ignition book, because this is something that I haven't heard of. I mean, I've heard people talk about this is a great entry point to the series, but I've never heard the book like given a name. So I was just wondering if it is um, written after you've written several of the books and therefore includes a lot of the characters who are already in the series that the reader will then go back and find out what actually happened to this couple and those people. And 
Right. So here's how I do an ignition book. This is a very, very good question. So I approach an ignition book or a push book like um, as if the character, the reader has never seen this world before. So I have a character usually who has also never seen this world before. Yeah. So they walk into the world and they meet someone in the world. Um, it might even be two people that walk into the world, but the best is if one of them walks into the world is, and is inserted and experiences the world for the first time and therefore allows the reader to experience the world for the first time. And maybe they meet somebody who's not embedded in this plot here, but someone who's an outlier, but is loosely connected to these he, these people here, right? And so, so she meets this person and he's here and then they walk into this world. Now it could, so for example, if it's, a, let's say it's a Montana rescue book. So it's set in Mercy Falls, Montana. I might bring in a backpacker or let's say a woman who wants to work at a camp in Mercy Falls. So she gets there or maybe she's a barista at one of the places. So she gets there and she decides that she wants to go out for a hike one day. Into the, bar, into the coffee bar comes one of the deputies. He's not a member of the Montana rescue team, but he's a deputy that we've heard about you know, but never really, he's like, he's walked in and off the pages around for various things, but we don't really know him. Yeah. So she meets him and they go hiking together and maybe they're, they meet a grizzly bear and they get run away and they run off into the woods. Somebody's injured. Somebody falls off a cliff. I always have cliffs. And so anyway, something bad happens, right? So now they have to do what they have to survive, but they also have to bring in the Montana rescue team, right? So maybe he, you know, gets away loses her he has to find her again but in doing so he has to call the sheriff or his buddy who is on the team and now we enter the team so she's viewing the team from there from an outside perspective he's viewing the team from kind of inside the team but now the reader gets to know all of these characters right and and interacts with pete and jess and ian and you know all of the people on the team and so when the story is over, we've finished the journey between our, you know, our coffee maiden and our, our deputy guy or whatever. We finished their journey, but now we want to know more about these people that we've met along the way. So a push book really just gets you into the world. It doesn't explore any of these stories, but it starts to whet an appetite for these characters, right? And so, so there's a couple of things. What a push book is great for um, a, a teaser. So like a lot of times, I'll, make, I'll write a really short, twenty thousand word push book um, that ignites a problem like I had the Ian and Sierra um if ever I would leave you it's the story of Ian and Sierra when um when Esme the Ian's niece goes missing and so what happens is we start that story and then that whole problem of the niece going missing is throughout the whole arc of the series and I'm going to talk about plotting that arc in just a second so that's that first introduction and that's where we meet the team for the first time. Then halfway through the series, I had a push book. So after book three in the series, I wrote a book called Crossfire. Crossfire was about um, a hero that or was about Ian's ranch lead. So his, um, I can't think of the name. Foreman. But he, foreman, thank you. Ian's foreman on his ranch had to go back to his home in um, North Dakota 
or Eastern Montana, I can't remember which word, I think it was North Dakota. And he has to deal with the death of his mom or his mom is, breaks her leg. So she, he goes home to deal with that. And so he meets up with a girl from his past. But along the way, I also bring in Montana smoke jumpers come in to solve a massive fire that happens while it's there. And so we meet these smoke jumpers and one of the members from Montana Rescue who we've kind of lost track of in book one, two, and three. And so he comes back in because the second half of the series is going to utilize him more, right? So again, push book. I put it out there. I um, used it as a, I put it on a bunch of free places. I used it in an anthology. I just got people interested, reawakened into the series again, but also, you know, just as a way to just meet the people a standalone story that had nothing to do with the main plot, but would you like to know more about Pete and Ruben and you know all these other kind of people, right? So here's where you find them, right? So so that's called a, a push book. I push them into the series, right? I might also have a Christmas book. A Christmas book can be a push book. You can pull that, you know, make it a Christmas story, and then again, a standalone story. But now it's bringing in characters from the world that you want your your that's your main prime line that you're bringing people into, right? right. So that's so that's how you would use a push book, and I. I have I plan push books for every series that I have about every three to four books I do a tiny little push book and that's the thing a push book isn't a 90,000 word novel it's 20 words or 30,000 words it's because that's an easy access point for people I, I you know like me I'll be like yeah I'll try you out for 20,000 words or 30,000 words it's like a couple hour read on a Saturday morning no problem if I like you I'll continue on and if not then no harm no foul you know so um, right. I keep it short because I don't want to burden the reader with something big. Right. Okay. And I, we want to get to um, the next part. That's the big, uh, the big meat here, but um, it sounded like uh, you answered the question I was going to ask, which if you have two um, related series tangentially or otherwise, the push book can actually send readers to both. Yep. Excellent. Great. Absolutely. Love it. All yeah. right. Let's go into the next. All right. Part. Okay. We'll keep going then. All right. So the question becomes when you're doing a series, um, a lot of people start writing and they don't plot their series. They're just like, I'm just writing this one and then I'm going to do the next one. And that is totally legitimate. So you can plot your stories one by one. And basically, you know, the next book grows out of the events of the previous book. Um, and this does allow for the introduction of new characters. And so instead of having your whole cast of characters that you meet at the beginning, it allows you to be like, and now I'm going to pull this cousin in from Italy. And now I'm going to pull in this, this, hidden daughter that we didn't know about or whatever. The challenge can be sometimes that we start a problem here and we never solve it because it's like a dangling thread. Or here's one thing that I found. I had a character. I did this with, I a little bit did this with the Christiansons um, where I wrote myself into a little bit of a problem. And that was, I made Owen who's the youngest brother, sort of a bad guy. And he was a real bad guy. He did a lot of bad things. I would say not actually, it wasn't like he was an assassin or something, but he did sleep with a girl, one night stand, left behind a baby, kind of slept his way through Alaska, you know, kind of doing things that we wouldn't normally like, right? And so people were like, how are you going to redeem this guy? And so that can be a problem if you use a character that you might want to use later that then he does something really bad. You have to redeem him. So be careful what you do with your characters. Always remember, do I want to use this character later? Then I have to watch what I do with him here, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the one by one um, kind of method. And then of course there's a plotted method. And this is more where I have gone to. 
um, because I find that I can push my readers from one book to the next by creating problems at the end of the book that are solved in the subsequent book. And so basically I plant clues in book one that play out throughout the series. And I can introduce the characters in book one fully formed and, and yet non-explored and create a desire to get to know them throughout the series. Um, I don't have to create all the characters. So like in Sunrise here, you, you met Dodge and you met Echo. We created a small problem in this series. I introduced you to the other two brothers just by way of conversation. You didn't really meet them until Range walks in at some point during the story. And so the so I, you know, I've kind of created a desire for the next book. I did plot this whole book, um, this whole series ahead of time. And it's a trilogy which a trilogy is a little bit different than a long plotted series. A trilogy is sort of like, you need to think of a trilogy as act one, act two, act three, when you're plotting your story. So you're going to have, you know, so you're going to have a full plot in your whole book. You're going to have the full, you know, the full plot, a resolution of the main problem in this plot, in this book. But you're going to think about the series arc as the act one, the ignition of the problem. In act two, or in book two, it's act two of the main storyline, but also its own story, right? So you're kind of dealing with two layers of story. You've got the main story, but you've got the overarching story. So now you're dealing with all the stuff that you would do for act two in a book, but you're doing it in a series so this so at book two becomes your act two and then book three becomes your act three so then of course you've got all the you know you got your black moment event and then all of the stuff that happens in act three in the third book but you also also have a plot so it can get kind of confusing but if you understand acts and story you can put those elements in and just takes a little bit of time and thinking about how to do it um now the one thing about a plotted book if you don't have it some of the kinks worked out, you can get stuck in a plot device that doesn't work. So I had a character in my Montana Rescue series who left the girl and she chose a different man. So, but I needed them to get together. So then I was lit and then I had a book in between. So it was a year later that his, their story took place. And I'm like, what happened in that year? How come she didn't marry the guy, the other guy? How did it come back? And so I got, even though it was very clever in book number four, I got stuck in book number six and had to get super creative in how they got back. And I, that happened because I hadn't thought through the arc of their romance enough. And so I had to have something big happen. And I liked what happened in book four, but then I had to figure out how to bring them back together in book six. So you just have to be aware of some of the challenges and be really creative in getting out of them, right? So- Quick question. Um, yes. Okay, so um, for a series that has a specific um, beginning and end, so your trilogy, Harry Potter, I mean, once Voldemort's gone, then he's gone. There's really nothing else to say unless you want to know about Fantastic Beasts and where to right. find them. <laughs> right, right. right. So um, <clears throat> when you're looking at a series like this, let's just talk about the the three book example for a minute. Sure. So um, in, in the uh, 3x structure in the storytelling system, um, the third act has the most amount of um, action and um, you know, the climax is there and that sort of thing. So right. how does that work with um, book three's uh, own uh, book three only plot? Like, does it need to be a little bit less, uh, you know, a, not so much smaller, but a 
gentler. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, does the um, story yeah. need to be smaller? So here's, here's what you did. So every, every book has its own individual plot, which is going to have a regular arc to it, right? So you're still going to have act one, two, and three in your actual book, and you're going to have a big, you know, your climactic act three plot or elements, right? In, um, when you're plotting your, your trilogy, the events of act, events of book one, will act as an ignition to the problem. So going back to Harry, even though it's not a trilogy, we'll use that. Harry, the ignition is, is Voldemort alive? Can he come back? Is there something happening? So it was the ignition of the Voldemort problem, right? In act two, or in the second act, so let's just, you know, bundle in the, you know, sort of yeah. like the middle, not, the last book was two movies. And so we'll just bundle in the other ones. In act two, it's the, if it's the, okay, if Voldemort is coming back, what does that mean, right? So we have the um, the the Death Eaters show up. We have um, the, you know, in the, the Return of Sirius Black, we have the, um, the, the, the diary with the snake and how, you know, so we yeah. learn about Voldemort and, and there's problems. And who are the allies and the enemies? Mm -hmm. What? And who are the allies and the enemies? Right. And what do we need oh, to do to happen. defeat them? And and so just mm -hmm. like we would in Act Two, and I have a class on Novel.academy called the the um, Revolutionary Four Act Plot. But what it does is that it breaks Act Two into two sections. And so if you were to write a four book series, you'd have Act One, Act Two A, Act Two B, Act Three, right? So, but you can put Act Two all together in the trilogy. And basically, the first half of the book two would really be building that motivation and why we need to get rid of him, right? And act, and then you'd have like the midpoint and act in the middle of book two, which is the midpoint of the series. And then you'd have that sort of like, this is what we need to do to get rid of him. And then we'd have the attack, like this is where, you know, the serious black, you know, coming back and the if you haven't read Harry Potter by now, yeah. I'm it, but it's too late, but, you know, and then you've got the death leader eaters coming back and you've got that closing of Hogwarts, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so all of that kind of stuff happens in that second book. And then you want to have something terrible happen at the end of the book too. So you've got your main plot, but at the very end of that, after you've, after you've closed the main plot line, the final chapter is something bad that happens that is the black moment of the series so far. Somebody shows up dead, um, Dumbledore is killed, you know, whatever it is. And now we've got the final act, right? So, and then, you know, I believe Dumbledore is killed in book, is, bef is before the black Six. moment. Okay. And that, yeah, that is the black moment. And then you've got the last two novels, right? Um, and so the, or the last two movies, which is actually one novel, right? So then you've got the last bit of your trilogy. And this is after everything terrible has happened. And these guys come back and they're like, what do we do now? I don't know what to do. And then they come up with something. They have a realization and they attack the, the you know, and they have the final battle, which has its own sort of little story arc or little arc in it. But again, it's a main um, plot as well. So they're dealing with the main plot, but they're also dealing with the, overarching plot trying to accomplish it so that last story that last story plot really is very integral to the main plot 
right? So your first story plot is probably very separate from the main plot because it's like they're going about their lives and then bam, they have the introduction to the main plot. The second one has, sorry, I'm outside and I'm by Andrews Air Force Base. So I'm oh. sure <laughs> there's probably a rocket or something flying by. But then the second book really has, um, it's got, you know, it's got also a main plot, but it has more of those, um, it's got more integral to the main plot. And then the last one is very integral to the main plot because, or I should say the series plot, because you're, it's everything you're doing is dealing with the finale of the series and coming together. Okay. That so that, I think that, I think that you answered what I was asking, which is, um, you know, Harry Potter book one is, um, has got uh, like a, a lighter weight sort of tension to it. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter book seven is like, tension from the beginning to the end. And right. I was just wondering if your books needed to be kind of an even amount of, you know, tension and conflict, but because well, it seems like it would be more in book three. Well, the reason it's more in book three is because we understand the stakes. We don't understand the stakes at the beginning at the book one. So you do need to make book one compelling, but it has to be compelling in its main plot, not necessarily in the series plot, because we don't understand. As we get into book two, the stakes are raised but we still don't understand the significance above them until we get to the end of book two. So that still has to have a great plot. Book three will have by nature a much higher impact because of we understand the stakes. We, you know, everything is going bad. We've had more emotions involved. Our readers are more connected to the characters. So it, it, you can't escape the fact that book three is going to be more impactful and which is what you want because a lot of people don't do this. They they like have a story and then they just pick up the story and they have the next story and the next story and they don't create the series arc. So what happens is that we read the first book and we're like, that's nice. I do like those characters. Then we read the second one. We're like, yeah, that's okay. And the third one drops off because people are not as thrilled with the character. They're just like, it's just going to be the same old, same old. But uh. if you're building a story arc and now there's so much at stake, people will read the third one because they're like, I've been building up to this and now I deeply care about the stakes of book three, right? And so this is why, why in my opinion, sometimes series trilogies fail because they don't build to the third book. They just tack on stories from the first book. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's really helpful because I hadn't thought about it that way. And um, in marketing circles, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, things drop off around book three or four and we talk about it from a marketing perspective well how can we better market book three or four but you're talking about how can we better write book three and four yeah and that kitty is the key i think a lot of people forget that it's you know it's marketing is great but if your book doesn't deliver then the marketing you're wrecking the marketing for the next book really i mean it doesn't matter how book the book if the marketing is fabulous for book one and it's, you know, maybe book one sells great. And then people pick up book two and the marketing is fabulous, but it doesn't deliver. I don't care what you do. Book three is not going to sell as much because yeah. people are going to be like, yeah, I don't care about the hype. I, I wasn't interested, you know? And so that's, and that's a problem. I think, I think the matrix suffered from that, you know, book first movie was fantastic. Second movie was pretty good. Third movie. Eh. And so now they're like, let's have a reprise. And people like me were like, yay. And then I went to it. And I was like, there's no stakes. I like seeing the old characters, you know, but I didn't really get it. And so it kind of didn't do as well as people had hoped because it was just, there was no buildup of stakes and everything like that. And so that was the challenge. And so it's really not about, it is, I mean, marketing helps, but it's really not about marketing. It's about story. Yeah. Yeah. 
Love so. it. Okay. Well, let's talk about more about that. Okay. All <laughs> right. So let me give you some tips on creating the one by one series. So um, if you do want to just, you're like, Susie, I don't want to plot a whole series. It's too much for my brain. I cannot do it. You know, if you're often, I hear this from pantsers and I totally get it. Um, I'm, I do think that a plotted series will help you write the series, but you don't have to do that. So let's just talk about the creating the one by one. So here's some tips. First, create a secondary character with an intriguing past or issue to use in the next book. So here's your main character, create a secondary character and make him intriguing, mysterious, hot, you know, have an issue, whatever it is we want to see that will, like I did this with the Marshalls. People loved Knox, but they really wanted to know who Tate was. And so, and I almost, I almost made it worse because people were so excited about Tate. So then I was like, okay, in Tate's book, I had to create Ford's story, right? And so now we've got Ford's issue, right? So it's like, it was always a, a trying to figure out how to not take away the glory from the main character because the sub character was so good. But if you create that secondary character that's intriguing enough, people will continue to read. Second of all, plant a backstory event that the reader has to discover layers to. So especially if this is a, 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 a series that is could be a family series or a character-driven series where it's the same character, have an event in the past that we see a glimpse of and then we see more of and then we see more of and more of and so that we can build on that. And what happens is readers, so for example, let's say that so we're a big fan of um, Uhtred of Bedenburg, uh, The Last Kingdom. So it comes out today and, um, or it came out last night or something like that. We haven't seen it yet. We're crazy fans because we love Uhtred, but we also know Uhtred's past. We know everything he's been through, right? So, so that character, that reoccurring character has a lot of depth to us. If you came to the page right now and watched this season, you'd be like, what's the big deal about this guy? I don't know who any of these people is. Who cares if the king betrays him, right? Because we don't understand where he's been to. In a standalone, in a book where you have built a character, we need to build that depth of backstory in each book so we understand not just what happens in the story, but we understand his backstory. This is why Lee Child in book eight wrote Reacher's backstory and we understood who his mom was and what you know and his brother and why he was the person he was and you know what why he ended up leaving the military which i think was a, a book 12 or something like that so he wrote three backstory books to build on reacher's life because people wanted the question they had so many questions right so we need to so you can solve that by building and you can build write a backstory book if you want but you can build create a problem that you build on all right create one central character everyone moves around but that doesn't have a point of view so i just wrote a series sorry <laughs> I just wrote a series uh, called the, um, the True Lies of Rembrandt Stone. It's a six book series. Um, and in that series, uh, there's a character named, there's two characters. One's named Booker and one named Burke. And I was like, why did I name them both B's? I don't know. But, <laughs> but Booker is his police chief and Burke is his partner. And we see B Burke a lot because he's in, but he never has a POV. Booker is only really sort of in memory because he's dead when um, Rembrandt, Rembrandt is, when we start the story. It's a, it's a story about a time traveling detective. So he goes back in time to solve his cold cases. And so in the present, Booker is dead. In the past, Booker is alive. And so, 
but he doesn't have a big part of the story until later on in the story. So what happens is that this character becomes a rock for our character to sort of you know, cling to, he's like a stabilizing force. We know when he goes back in time, he's gonna see Booker, right? Because Booker is always there. And so having that character, whether it's a parent or a friend or a, you know, what, whatever it is in your world, gives the reader some sort of a, oh yes, I know this guy, no matter what happens in the world, this guy is always solid, right? And then create an ongoing problem that each character must deal with. So let's say um, you have a, so, obviously in my Rembrandt Stone series, it's he's got cold cases that he has to deal with. But in every cold case, in the first book, he ignites a problem that then in every subsequent book he has to deal with. It's not the same problem as the main, main story until the very end, but he has to continually deal with that. Um, maybe a tornado comes through your town and destroys the town. And so throughout all of your stories, they're rebuilding the town. Uh, maybe there is a death uh, a terrible tragic accident and a bunch of kids are killed in the town. So now in every subsequent book, we're dealing with the aftermath, right? So, so if you create something in the scenes that binds people together, now we create that problem for every character. And maybe it's a big problem, maybe it's a little problem, but it's something that they, they have to deal with. Okay, so that's tips on creating one by one series. Let's talk a little bit about creating the, plan the plotted series. So when you're creating a plotted series, you've got all your characters at once, right? And that can be really challenging for readers to access. So the first thing you wanna do is give each character a persona, right? That we wanna know. So even in my Montana Rescue series, we had Ian, the billionaire, Sierra, the administrative assistant and great cook. We had Jess, who was the um, who was had a secret, but she was a hidden heiress and um, a remodeler. We had uh, Ben, uh, Martin, who was a, a um, country music star. We had um, Pete, who was a great rock climber and rescuer. We had his brother, who at the moment, Sam, I think it's Sam. Yeah, Sam. He was a, a cop and also a caretaker of his mom. Um, we had Ty, who was a cowboy and also a helicopter pilot. Um, we had Gage, who was a snowboarder. So we have these personas so that when we access them, we can go, oh yeah, Gage is a snowboarder. He's got long hair. He's very, uh, he loves the outdoors, you know, whatever. So it's really easy for the reader to connect to the, who that person is because they have a persona. So when you introduce them, and, and I would not introduce them all at once. You want to introduce them in the context where they show up in the story so that readers, because if you introduce them one by one, it's sort of like when you walk into a group of people at a restaurant and there's eight people sitting at the table and somebody stands up and says, so glad you could join us. And then they introduce them all these. You've forgotten the names by the time that she's gotten to the end of the introductions you yeah. do not want that to happen in your book right so you want to have them come in interact so like if i met somebody you know somebody getting out of the car and then we go to the booth and someone is there and says hey i have some chips for you here's some chips and my name is sandy and you go okay sandy and the chips you know and then you're like okay and you have you, you meet them as you go then we're more likely to remember them and so this um, helps the reader when you want to have a big cast, maybe because you want to have a bigger series, mm -hmm. um, to be able to remember with just um, a line or two for each one, oh yeah, this is a snowboarder guy, and these are the things I know about the snowboarder guy. Yes. I, I just forgot his name is Sam. You know, yeah, versus yeah. Ty is the other guy. I remember now because he's the one who blah, blah, blah. That's the way? Yeah, okay. that's the way. Um, all right, give them also a place to hang out. We already mentioned that. So 
but that set piece where they hang out can gr help grind it, grind us, ground us into the world where it, I call it anchoring. And so that if we know where things are, so what happens is our brain can only, only assimilate so much information. And so when we're in a set place where we know we don't have to worry about, oh, what does this place look like? We can worry about the conversation and what's happening, right? Quick question on that. Mm -hmm. If you decide to have a series that's set in a real place and then you have lots of, you know, pretend things, but also some set pieces that are uh, part of this real town or real city or whatever, um, would you, do you have any idea if there's a um, positive or negative to having this meeting place be a real meeting place? So I would not make the meeting place a real meeting place because you can't do much with it. I would make uh. it fake and based on something that you know, but I would make real places that they that are landmarks that you see a statue um a you know a, a prominent landscape piece uh you know you could you know maybe a road that everyone drives on you might do that but any place the characters are going to interact in and you need to have creative license in i would create a new place like i have a coffee shop a bookstore uh, a donut shop a cafe a library um, a pastry shop, all of these things in Deep Haven, they all are based off actual places, but I've renamed them all. I've put different characters in that may or may not resemble the characters that are there already, but now I've got movement. I can, in terms of creativity, I can do what I want with them. I can remodel them. I can burn them down. I can flood them. I can uh, nice. have different ownership brought in, you know, all sorts of stuff because now it's not based on the same place or it's not, I mean, it's not exactly the same place. Same yeah. with sports teams. Um, like I created the Blue Ox, which unfortunately became after the books came out, there actually became a Blue Ox hockey team in Minneapolis. I'm like, oh, that's bad. That's perfect. Um, you know, so, but I'm like, I, my books predated that team. So I, yeah. I have proof, you know, um, you know, but sports teams, um, uh, you know, that's a big one. If people are going to use things, I'm trying to think what else, um, um, events like the Olympics. I might not do the Olympics because there's so many rules, but I might have a national competition or something like that or international. And so, so that sort of thing where people could be like, oh no, I've been there. I've done that. That's not right. You know, you don't want yeah. that. Right? So you can just always say, but all right. So let's talk. And so, so giving each character a persona, give them a place to hang out, give them a overall problem to solve that you then plot throughout the series. So if you are a TV watcher like I am, you can actually watch a series and just and know what steps they are taking in the overall arc of the series. And so an arc of a TV show and an arc of a book is the same as the arc of a inside a book. So you're going to have life inciting incident, no book quest, um, the the great debate or sorry, life inciting incident. No, great debate, novel quest, act two, you know, attempt, failure, cost, reward, desire, attempt, man in the mirror. And then you're going to have all your, you know, your, your, your training for battle scenes. And then you're going to have your black moment and black moment event. And then the final battle and then the happy ending. You're going to have all of that in individual episodes or even combined. So sometimes if it's like a, like if it's not a 10 book series, a three book series or a five book series or whatever, you're going to have all of those elements are going to be in the themes and construction and overall elements of each series or each episode, right? So think about your books, you know, as an episode in your series, right? These sort of things are going to happen. And so when you are plotting your story, this is what I do. Hopefully this will help. 
when you're plotting your story, and then I'm going to get to suggestions on how to ignite plotted series. But when you're plotting, what I do is I create this, the titles, I create the plot of the actual book, or I kind of give a blurb. And then I have like across the top, what episode, what kind of episode it is, let's call it episode, what kind of episode it is, and then what happens in each episode as as far as the series goes. So like the first one would be, they find out that Esme still might be alive. They um, put out a hunt for Esme and they get a, an uh, episode one. Episode two, they put out a hunt for Esme and they get a random phone call. Could be from Esme saying, leave it alone. Episode three, they decide not to leave it alone and they find out that um, they, they track her to um, someplace, but she's not there anymore. And and uh, there's a retaliation. And so now we know she's in big trouble. Episode four, um, they they find her, but she doesn't want to go back with them. Episode five, she decides to go back with them, but brings trouble with her. Episode six, they defeat the trouble and they find out the cause of the real problem and save the day, right? So that's your, so that's what I would write in all of my columns. And so now I know this alongside the main plot of the story, I also have to have this little bit in my story. And as you can see, each story grew. So by the time we got to book four, they're hunting for Esme. That's going to take half the story. Book five, she comes back. Oh, that's a bigger part. Book six is the entire story of what happened and, and on the plot is integral to that last one. So, so think through your series, think through how many books you want to have and separate the plot, the series plot out per books so that you kind of know what you're aiming at in each book. And then you can weave it in when you get to that book. So you don't have to do the entire plot, just a little blurbs of how it's going to go. All right. Perfect. All right. So I'm going to get some suggestions for flow of a plotted series, but do you have anything you want to say, Kitty, before we keep going? Well, I think that this is going to be like a, a perfect two hour episode, but we don't have two hours. So I'm going to hold my <laughs> questions. <laughs> okay. Well, let me get, let me give you a suggested flow of a plotted series. Okay. So I'm going to go slow and people may want to re stop and start this so they can take some notes on this but this is what has worked for me over and over again and I do I do six books five or six books usually um because of course like I said I have a push book after book three I have a push book into book one and then often I'll have like a Christmas book between four and five or between five and six and so I have a number of push books but you don't have to do it that way that's just so it ends up being kind of like a nine book series really um, but that's okay. So book one, I set up my characters and I start my problem and I start with a problem A. So I have a, you know, I start with a big problem that they have um, in the story and it may be in the main plot, it may be in the series plot, but there's a problem. Book two, I focus on character two and three. So I've got all the characters and I have character one. I focus on characters two and three and I start another problem, problem B. Okay, it might not be so in problem in, in my Montana rescue, it wasn't just the um, the so there was a flood in problem A, and they found this body and they it reignited the search for Esme and problem in book two, we continued problem A, but we also started problem B, which was um, this house that fell down that belonged to one of the characters and she had to figure out where to where to move to, which then allowed me to have in book three, a deepening of problem B, which was she moved in with this other character and they started a remodeling project, which became a big part of the rest of the series. So in book three, we're gonna bring character three in from book two, 
and we're going to deepen problem B, which we're going to, which builds on book two. Now in book four, we're going to focus on character number four. We're going to have a subplot with character one because we've already had their story, but we want to revisit their story. We want to get to know more about them. We're going to resolve problem A. So in the Montana Rescue series, we found Esme, but we created problem C. Esme doesn't want to come home. Okay, so, we, and we don't know why, all right? In book five, we're going to bring a fifth character in um, that we've already introduced along the way. He's been in the background and finally he gets his chance and we're going to pick up character two. So in book five of Montana Rescue, it was about Ty and he, we've seen him along the way. We don't know what his, we know he has a problem with flying. We don't know what it is. We find out what it is in book five. It deals with a tornado. I, inter, I introduced the Minnesota Marshals, which has characters that show up in all my other books after that. And then um, we solve problem B and problem B is Jess's house. And so now it's ready to be, it's fixed up and everything is great. And, and we try to figure out what's happening with, or, so we solved that problem B, but we still have problem C out there. And problem C is that Esme doesn't want to come home. So in book five, we also kind of continue on a little bit with, with problem C, but in book six, now we're going to have character six, um, the main, you know, the people we're building up to. And so I would encourage you to have a character that everybody loves by book six. And so we all loved Pete Brooks and that was his story, right? We have a subplot with character four. So um, character four was um, in my, I think it was Gage and uh, no, I can't remember who character four was, but anyway, subplot with character four and we solve problem C. So we bring Esme home, we find out what's going on and we solve the big problem. So that's how we, we whet the appetite for everybody with the characters. We bring in characters. You, in, in book six, you, you could do a subplot with character three if you wanted instead of character four, depending on what character people love the most. Um, you won't be able to have a subplot with every character. Well, you can depend. You won't be able to have a return subplot with every character because you don't have the words for it. But you can have a subplot with every character if you want. So, um, you know, in book one, you have subplot with character two. Book two, you have subplot with character three. Book three, you have subplot with character, um, uh, maybe uh, character four. Um, book four, you have subplot with character one again. So you bring them back. Book five, you have subplot with character maybe two or three, bring them back. And then character book six, you might have a subplot with character four, three or four, depending on what it is. So you're just weaving them all in, right? And, and I always pick a character that people want more, more of when I think about their characters. So, um, so that's kind of how you weave in everything together. I actually have a, a chart that I can send you, Kitty, that might help with this for people. Oh, that's great. I'm thinking through how to do that. And this works also with a uh, as a guide for um, pantsers too, because they'll give them an idea. Oh, I'm going to bring in this problem and this thing that I started, and that might help a little bit. So, um, all right. So then, and so that's basically how I do a plotted series. And then there's also um, something called serials, which we haven't really touched on. Um, and serials are more like, and this is where you might have Kindle Vela, or you might have short stories. And basically you're in serials, you're, you have story arcs for each character that are running simultaneously. So you would usually wrap the story around one main event that worsens with each excerpt. Um, you run the, all the storylines at the same time. You end with a cliffhanger of each in each one, but we haven't solved the problems. 
And, um, and, and, and these are very much built around television shows. And so what you're, you're trying to do is you're trying to solve problems throughout the whole series and you're not saw you might have an episode problem that everybody works on but you haven't you haven't created a complete character arc with each of them till the end so that's a different kind of story which totally works if you're interested Ronnie Kendig did a really great series called um Operation Zulu where she had like five characters that went through all of these with episodes so it's kind of a way to glue the reader in because they care about the characters they have a problem in every episode so for example ncis is a good example of this they solve the problem but we have ongoing character arcs for each of them that would keep us glued into the story and there's the same characters in every story with dealing with their own character problems but also dealing with the episode issue right okay so. and the serial is the only one where you can have an actual cliffhanger at the end that is not the kind that irritates you or that is the kind right. that, that would irritate readers of well, a novel. it kind of does because but you've solved you've you've delivered the promise and here's the promise i promise that i will solve the problem of the plot that i began in this story so we don't want to have a plot cliffhanger we want to have character cliffhangers if you have a plot cliffhanger then what you do is you solve the current plot and you plop plot <laughs> and then you create a new problem so like in my montana montana marshall series i solved the plot in every um story but then i had a uh, sort of a what happens next excerpt that then compelled people to keep reading i had some people that said it's a cliffhanger and i said it's not a cliffhanger i have solved the main plot the problem that i introduced at the beginning of the story that was the main plot of this story has been solved I did not solve the series plot. I kept you going with that, but that is not a cliffhanger. That is uh, that is simply a series plot that is pushing from story to story. As long as you solve the main plot, it's not a cliffhanger. So serials also, you can solve, uh, you can have a cliffhanger like, you know, a character involving a character, like he goes missing and we don't know where he is and story. Oh no, now what are we going to do? But you solve the main, you know, solve the, figure out who the bad guy is. So again, looking at, you know, NCIS or something like that might be a good example. Right. Um, all right. So in our remaining three minutes, two minutes, let's talk about um, marketing your series. Okay. So one is you want to give it a great name. So I, my current series is the boys of Sky King Ranch. I, I think they actually just call it the Sky King Ranch series, but for all my media, I'm calling it the Boys of Sky King Ranch since I like that. Um, I had, um, so I, the, my Montana Rescue series was um, actually not called that, but they, but my publisher renamed it to Montana Rescue. To me, it sounded like a Disney show, but at the same time, it had great keywords, Montana and rescue in it. So it worked really well. Um, I think that uh, I had Montana smoke jumpers and then I had the Montana marshals. I used the word marshal because two reasons. One is that one of my family names, but also um, I like the idea that it was a play on words. I mean, marshal as in, um, you know, the U.S. marshals denotes a sense of bravery and mystery and strength. And it was spelled differently. It was the Marshall family, two L's. But it still was a bit of a tag keyword, so it worked well for that. And I had Montana Marshalls, right? Um, so give them a great name, um, label it, give it a, give it, give it a uh, insignia or something. And then I also had on the back of my Montana Marshalls, I had big world, you know, big world, big family, big problems or big trouble, something like that. And so that was kind of my slogan throughout the whole thing. And I like to do that because I like to give it sort of a slogan that people then can relate to. 
Um, I also, you know, give it a great series name. So I had like the true lies of Rembrandt Stone. You're like, what is that? That was a juxtaposition of words, right? Um, give a teaser in the back. So you always want to give a little teaser in the back of the book of the next books and, you know, with a buy now link, if it's an ebook or whatever. Um, and then you also want to play up the next character in the plot. So if you're doing a connected series of some sort, always don't choose a random character, play up the character that people know and love, but their appetite for more. So, um, and then, you know, what you can do is there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. You can put teasers out, you can put images out, you can put, um, you know, you're always trying to bring them into the world. Who are we going to meet next in this world? Who are the people that we care about? You know, do, you know, would you like to know what, you know, and maybe what you could do is you can even interview what is my old character up to now, you know, and this sort of thing. So, you know, there's all sorts of stuff you could do to grab people into your world, but that, that, that strong cover, that strong um, series name, um, the strong tag that goes with it, teaser in the back, um, and great titles that make you um, want to um, connect with the series. So I have Sunrise, Sunburst, Sundown. I was, I did want Sunrise, Sunset, you know, Sunrise, Sunburn, Sunset, and they're like, nah, it's not romantic enough. I get it. So anyway, so we did go with Sunrise, Sunburst, which I love that that title now because of the way the story played out and the cover is so amazing. And then we have Sundown, which is kind of a, there's a song, you know, and it, and it, some of it takes place in Florida and they have a great cover again. I mean, the cover designers at Ravel are amazing. So anyway, it's just been really fun to see that. So it's like, it's kind of catchy and fun. So just think through how, pe how are people going to, you know, like Reacher, I'm reading a Jack Reacher book. I don't even know the titles of his books, but I know it's a Jack Reacher book. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of fun. So anyway, so that's some ideas for marketing. Excellent. Yeah, that's the same with me. I'm reading book 15 of the Harry Dresden series. And I'm oh, like, yeah. what's the name of it? It's cold something. It's cold it's nights, the, cold days. Right? Yeah, I had to look <laughs> it up because I'm like, I don't know. I, I just know I'm happy with it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. This has been so brilliant. And I just want to say that, you know, um, when you're younger and you're um, trying to get a job, like the perfect job in your career, and people say, oh, you should do like an informational interview with somebody and invite somebody to lunch and then you pay for lunch. So let me just say, for me and everyone who's listening, I feel like I need to buy you lunch or two. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, okay, so Susie, you know me well enough to know that um, that I'm not cheap, I'm frugal. <laughs> hey, frugal is good. Frugal gets places, I'm telling exactly. you. Exactly. Frugal, frugal. babe, then you have money later for do stuff. Like Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but, um, but here's the thing, as much as I was like, uh, you know, tra traditionally published eBooks um, are, to me overpriced um but to thank you for this amazing information i have now given myself permission to thank you by buying the next two books in your series that i wanted to read anyway <laughs> and i was like well maybe they'll come to the library but yes. so, so i'm going thank to you. thank you with that. i appreciate that i appreciate that i think you will love them i do know that ebooks it's it's a challenge right so it's always about length in my opinion so you get this great book that's 100,000 words and for $9.99, or you get a smaller book that's, you know, maybe not um, as meaty, you know, for $6.99 or $4.99. So I always think about the length, but I hear you on that. I, <laughs> I, I am, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard balance trying to figure out what's the right price for your book, because it is, you know, uh, labor is worth yeah. their pay. Right. And so, but also you want to market it right. And I, and so I, I tend to have some guidelines that I use when pricing my books. Now, I don't 
price these books. These are Ravel books. So, you know, these are trad published books. They get to price them. But even in my own books, you know, if they're longer and they're worth more in my mind, I, I, I charge more, yeah. but I feel like there's also a value associated with price, right? Yeah. So you expect to pay more for a Ferrari or a Lamborghini than you do right. a Fiat, right? So, um, yeah. but you get more. Right. So, you know, so there's that. So, but thank you, Kitty. I appreciate that. I think you will love them, but I appreciate your thoughts. And you can highlight them if you buy the actual book, you can, or the Kindle, you can, oh. I guess you can in Kindle too, but yeah, I, can I do that all the time. I highlight in Kindle and then I click and I find my notes and then I take my notes down. Yes. Yes. I do love that. And um, I keep moving to countries where books are really expensive, paper books. So oh, I probably yeah, will no. buy it on Kindle. Yes. Buy it on Kindle. <laughs> buy it on Kindle. Yes. It's a lot um, and I know that you, uh, we're late. We need to let you go to another uh, event. But um, the when you were counting off on your fingers, all the different parts of the story and how you can have some of these parts in each of the books as you have a longer series. Can I just ask you, this is from your book, The Story Equation. Is that right? Right. Right. You will find it's just a nuts and bolts, very basic book. It's 10 bucks and it'll teach you everything you need to know about writing. Well, not everything. It'll teach you the nuts and bolts about writing. Not everything. There are other books out there. I have some other books out there too that will help you with the advanced stuff. But the story equation is what has worked for me. It just gets, helps you get the story on the page and it talks about plotting structure, just real basic stuff. But it does, it's sort of kind of what I built my stories on and then you can grow from there. But um, yes, all those pieces are in that and if people really want to know more about advanced writing writing series how to build a career all that kind of stuff um i would encourage you to hop over to novel.academy because we have we do have some free classes there that kind of give you a sense of what we do um we have a class every thursday night and then we have a massive vault of year 10 years of of material that you know and it's all organized and so you can take like i want to learn how to write dialogue i want to learn how to write characters i want to learn how to build a business i want to learn how to market i want to learn how to launch my book or whatever it is we got tons and tons of material and um a great great community too so um we're actually the longest running continuous um inspirational writing academy on the internet so wow yes. congratulations Thank you. <laughs> yes. we, and we so we're we're about 10 years old now and we're doing really we're it's going strong. So nice. that's great. Awesome. Okay. And, we're, and creating great writers too. That's Yay. what I love. All yeah. right, good. Definitely this kind of a class we want to send people to novel.academy. And also uh your website is susanmaywarren.com. Right. Okay. Yep. So they can find all of your books and pretty much anywhere books are sold as well, right? Yep. And the, the new one is Sunrise and book two. Uh, and it's, I have to say, as married to a twin, I'm super excited. These are actually triplets, which yes. I, I just, cause it kind of spoiled it for somebody, but. Um, oh no, but, they, they'll get it right away. It's fine. Okay. Well, I didn't get it until like three quarters of the way through the book. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's all <laughs> I don't know what, 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 uh, what hint I missed, but anyway, so I think that's very exciting. And um, Sunburst comes out soon. Yeah, it comes out in, May or June, I don't remember, but very soon I'll- um, Very soon. I, if you subscribe to my newsletter, you'll find out. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> but it's coming, it, what I love is that the whole series comes out this year. So yeah, you don't have to wait years in advance. And I, kudos to Ravel for doing that with me because I'm a huge, like, as a series reader, I'm like, I want them all right now, please. Thank you so much. And, you know, so they did that. That was great. So- Fantastic. Anyway, thank you, so you'll, you'll, love, you'll fall in love with these heroes. They're fantastic. Yeah. 
and Alaska and these women and oh my gosh, it's, yeah. it's really, really just have to say as a reader, I loved this book, but we oh, need to let you go. And we're going to buy you coffee by uh, and buy you lunch <laughs> by buying some of these great books to oh, thank you it. for really thank helping you. us. And uh, people, you know, go to Susie May's website when you, um, you know, have done something amazing with your writing because of what you learned here and thank her. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be here, Kitty. It's so fun to hang out with you as usual. I you guys go write something brilliant, really. <laughs>